Well, good morning, Christ City, East Vancouver. Uh, it is good to be with you virtually on this Sunday morning. Let me begin before we unpack our text today, just by encouraging you in this season, if you don't already know, uh, please take advantage of the resources that we are producing uh, for you to encourage you uh, in this time. Uh, that includes uh, our podcast, our Here Be Dragons podcast. It also includes uh, things like our blog, of course, these sermons, but also uh, we have a devotional series being produced every day on YouTube called our Self-Isolation Series uh, in First Peter. If you're not taking advantage of those resources, please do. Uh, They're intended to encourage you uh, with the truth of God's word in this season. Further, if you need anything, please, uh, jake at christcitychurch.ca or heath at christcitychurch.ca, we would love to serve you. I know many of you we've talked to this past week, but if there are some of you we haven't spoken to or checked in on, please reach out. We'd love to care for you uh, in this season. Let's begin this morning uh, by reading our text together. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to this timely text. And Father, we acknowledge Uh, that there's much of what you have to say for us this morning that we are resisting. That is not, it doesn't feel like good news to us. So I invite you now across the city in apartments and homes, by ourselves or, or with our family, that you would by your spirit come and dwell amongst us. Give us ears to hear what, what might be perhaps the hardest word we've ever heard in our life. We pray these things so that Christ might be formed in us for the good of those who don't know you in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, over a a million people applied for employment insurance around Canada. We're in the middle of a financial crisis, one that is making uh, the depression of 2008 and 2009 look like a blip on the radar. And for some of you, these are just numbers, yet we know statistically, for most of you, the financial reality of our day is very real. It is impacting your home and your life and and your family. And I know this because Heath and I have talked to many of you this week. You've lost your job. Your business is on the verge of collapsing. And there's a very real possibility that you might lose it all. And before I go any further in this video format this morning, uh, believe me when I say I wish, I wish I could be with you right now. I wish we could be sitting uh, around a coffee shop having a cup of coffee together and talking about these things face to face so you could feel the love I have for you. And yet circumstances have me here and circumstances have you there. In our Father's sweet providence, And it's my prayer that you would indeed see it that way. 
He has brought us this morning as a church in Hastings Sunrise to this text, to this text in this situation. And if I can use a timely metaphor, I believe this morning that Jesus, the great physician, in three different ways, wants to surgically expose and heal our hearts uh, to, 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 to bring them back to wholeness. And we're gonna see how Jesus does this in three parts, and the outline will go on the screen. Here's our outline this morning. One, Jesus is gonna ask us, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Two, he'll follow up this question with a diagnostic test. He'll say, show me your life. Show me your life. And then we can find out where your treasure is. And then thirdly and finally, he'll come with his ultimatum. And so who will you choose? Who will you worship? So first, our great physician asks us this morning, where's our treasure? Where's our treasure? It's important to note that in in our text this morning, the word Jesus uses for, for treasure just doesn't refer to money. It can refer uh, to a number of other things. In fact, it does include money, but more broadly refers to the accumulation of things, as Scott McKnight says, the accumulation of things as our source of joy. So it could be money, could be vacations, could be our home. You, You get the picture. And Jesus's command is clear. Don't store up stuff as your source of joy in this life. Why? Why should we not do this? Because in this earth and in this life, he says, moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Or we could read it like this. And again, this will be on the screen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where stock markets plunge overnight, where hard-fought careers are ended in an instant. And where our own health seems more fragile than ever. Now, now Jesus, in his surgical work, is quick to point out the problem isn't clothes. That the problem isn't money itself. The problem isn't possessions themselves. The problem is our proclivity or our tendency to make these possessions our treasure, our hope, our source of joy. And if you make stuff... If you make status your treasure, as I'm sure you don't need me to tell you, in this life, only heartache and despair and anger and confusion wait for you. No, we are not to accumulate earthly treasures, Jesus says. Rather, we are commanded, did you catch that? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does it mean, you might be asking, to, to lay up treasures in heaven? Uh, John Stott, a, a scholar, theologian, pastor, he asks and then answers that very question. John Stott says this. What is this? He's talking about treasures in heaven. Jesus does not explain. Yet surely we may say that to lay up treasure in heaven is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. As I was thinking of a way to illustrate that for us this morning, I immediately thought of of Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott, if you don't know, was a missionary uh, in the 50s who went to a remote native group of people in the jungles of Ecuador in, in 1956. Elliott, with much life to live, 
a, a loving family with him, could have pursued riches and wealth and treasures in this earth. But, but Elliot, who was killed bringing the gospel to these people, counted the salvation of these remote people, of this remote part of the world, to be of more value, to be of eternally valuable, uh, m- so much more so than anything on this earth. Now, prior to Elliot's murder at the hands of these people, that he was tasked with bringing the gospel to, he famously wrote in his journal, and here's a screenshot of his journal. He wrote this famously. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, the reality for us this morning is that for all of eternity, we will worship alongside brothers and sisters from this remote Ecuadorian tribe because Jim Elliot and his co-laborers were thinking not of earthly treasures, but of heavenly treasures. They have treasure that will last forever in heaven. And in verse 21, look there. Jesus puts it plainly. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In, in short, keeping in mind the word heart in, in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Jewish context of this sermon, the heart encompasses the whole person. The, the, the whole person. And Jesus is saying really simply, what you value, what gives you joy, that's who you truly are as a person. What you value, And what gives you joy, that's who you truly are deep down as a person. And as Jesus has been saying all along, the the kind of person who treasures something other than God's kingdom in their heart, and yet outwardly says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's who I am, and yet something else is going on inside of them, that kind of person, Jesus has used a harsh and yet true language of calling them a hypocrite a play actor. They're wearing the mask of Jesus' kingdom, but but deep down, it's not true of them. Our great physician painfully, but necessarily, begins by asking this morning, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Now, if we're quick to respond without examining ourselves, without pausing the video, maybe even right now, and examining ourselves and our bank accounts with, oh yeah, God is my treasure, and God is my joy, and yeah, 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 it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. Jesus will continue his surgical work in verse 22 and 23 by in essence saying, great, if that's true, then show me your life, and this is point two, show me your life. Look at those verses with me. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Let me begin by saying that some of the difficulty we have in understanding these verses as as modern people comes from the fact that we're not living in Jesus' day. So we have to do a bit of work here. See, as modern people, we think of the eye and we think scientifically and we immediately think, okay, the the eye receives light and it goes through the cornea and then somehow that attaches to our brain and that's how we understand and and, and see things. But but you and I are not to read Jesus' statement scientifically. 
Instead, Jesus, as is true of his time, is speaking of the eye as a window into our soul. So when Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body, he's saying that a person's internal state or internal reality can be made known through their external actions, can be seen through their external actions. He says in our text that when it comes to money, this can go one of two ways. One, he says, your eye can be healthy, can be healthy. Or perhaps better translated, your external actions can be whole and and generous. Or or two, he says, your eye can be bad. Or or your translation might say something like, you have an evil eye. Now, in in Jesus' day, in the ancient world, the evil eye was synonymous with greediness, envy, uh, stinginess. You, You get the picture. We can summarize these two verses really simply like this. In diagnosing whether you are a person wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus' kingdom or you're a person in love with things of this earth, Jesus gives us two questions to ask ourselves. Again, this will come up on the screen. Am I, are you, are we a people of radical generosity or Am I a person of greed, envy, or stinginess? And if you don't know this morning, press pause on this video and and pull up your latest bank statement. What, What does that tell you? In this season, as I was praying about this and thinking about this, when it seems like the whole world is swimming downstream as we together hoard food, as we together cut our giving uh, to charitable work, as we together hunker down and and look out for ourselves in the midst of this long, what seems like economic winter, the, the church of Jesus is called to act prophetically in this time as they swim upstream against the cultural current, as we respond not in hoarding, but swim upstream in radical generosity, in, in radical giving, It seems so opposed to what we should do. And yet that's how we're to act. And and maybe you've lost your job and you're wondering how in the world you can be radically generous in this time. Let me remind you what most people in our city need, especially in this time, extends well beyond being generous with your money, with the finances you have. What would it look like for the church of Jesus to be wholehearted in their devotion to him and to his kingdom in this season as we become not only radically generous in our giving, but radically generous with all of our treasures? And we can think of time as a treasure. Maybe you need to commit to discipling a wavering brother or sister in this season. Can you be radically generous with your time in terms of strengthening the church, strengthening your community group, strengthening those you know who don't know Jesus even? Or maybe you're called to being radically generous with your expertise, with your expertise, leveraging your schooling and training to serve one another in some way. This past week, there was this amazing thing happened where I saw one Christian accountant offer to serve another Christian business owner, small business owner, by saying, hey, if you want financial advice in this time, in this season where things are tight, I'd love to walk you through that. That's what we're talking about. 
That's a picture of radical kingdom generosity in this season. If you don't know where your treasure is, our great physician this morning, he's very practical. He gives us a test. He he says, show me your life. Show, Show me what you do. Show me how you live. And surely the response of the church in this time needs to be in every area, in every sphere, one of radical generosity. Our surgical procedure ends this morning by Jesus telling us that this all boils down to one question, and it's a question of worship. Verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is point three. Who will you choose? Who will you choose? Given that the treasures of of this earth are fleeting and, and understood that our hearts are ultimately exposed in the way that we live, who will you choose? And Jesus doesn't give us a a whole pantheon of options. He gives us two options, two choices, two mutually exclusive choices. He says, "Will will you serve God or will you serve money? Will you serve God or will you serve money? God is well God. The triune, eternal, Father, Son, and Spirit, loving God. And, And money is this word mammon in our text. Mammon. It could mean money, but again, this is a more general idea of of treasures, uh, worldly wealth, earthly possessions. It's God or mammon. That's what Jesus says. Unless we think that this is an ancient question surrounding the worship of ancient deities and ancient idols, we actually saw this binary choice presented before millions of people this past week. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, Many of you heard the comments made this past week by Dan Patrick. He's the lieutenant governor of Texas. And this past week, he went on Fox News and suggested that perhaps there'd be some older people who'd be willing to lay down their lives in order to save the economy, that we should let this thing just kind of run its course if we want to save the economy. Now, I understand this is a complicated issue, and I understand that there's a lot of nuance here. But but at foundation, let me be very clear about this. Sacrificing people To save the economy is the very definition of mammon worship. Let let me be even more explicit. Sacrificing people to save the economy sounds eerily similar to the practice of human sacrifice that we all thought we've progressed beyond. And what screamed at me this past week, if I take it from here and realize the sin in my own heart, what, what screamed at me this past week was his voice in my head saying, if you can't be wealthy, Jake, and if your kids can't be wealthy, and if your kids can't have that assurance of wealth and the good life, what's the point in all of this? And maybe your hearts were exposed like mine this week. Here's the thought. What if, what if, God cares so much that, he, that we would wholeheartedly worship him and him alone, that he would use a global financial crisis to expose the idols of my heart and to expose the idols and the misplaced worship of your heart. W- what if he cares about us that much? 
I, I know, again, I wish I could be with you. I know this is not an easy thing to hear. I do not say this lightly. I do not say this casually. I've talked to many of you. This is something you're in the middle of right now. So imagine for a moment I'm getting down off of this pulpit and it's not Sunday morning anymore. It's Tuesday or Wednesday and we're having coffee and we're crying together because things are really, really hard. And life is really, really tough right now. But the best part about choosing to worship God is that you get God. The best part about choosing to worship God is that you get God. You get the God who purifies your desires. You get the God who uses every trial. He, he doesn't waste a single trial. You get the God who is good and who loves us and who can be trusted. And history's proven that. God did what mammon could not do. Indeed, what mammon did not do. God sends his son, his son Jesus, into the thick of our suffering. Mammon stays at home. God puts on flesh, endures all the pain and suffering of full humanity, and ultimately goes to the cross that we might be saved. What has mammon done for you? What have your earthly treasures done for you? What has your bank account or your vacation house? What has it done for you? Caused you sleepless nights? Ruined your relationship? Turned you into golem? And where is mammon now? We looked at Elijah a few weeks ago crying out, the gods must be sleeping. Where is Mammon now? Sleeping? Has he fled the city to his hillside villa? Only, only, only our crucified Lord remains. This past week, Brett Landry, our pastor in South Vancouver at the neighborhood church here, he tweeted this from John Stott. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, do we not live in the real world of pain, friends? In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? The beauty of the surgery that we're enduring, that we've endured today, and likely will endure in the coming days, the beauty of this surgery is that the God who loves us was on the table before us. And because he lives, because the grave was not the end of him, we know that this trial, this time of testing, will not be unto death. It won't. Because Jesus lives, we can take all of our eyes off of the stuff and begin right now in this moment to store up treasures that are eternal, that will last forever. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a hard word, but it is also, as we are just reminded, a good word in light of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that I cannot physically be with, that they would be strengthened, 
that they'd be strengthened this morning by the gospel. That they would choose not despair, not mammon and stuff and hoarding and isolation, but they, they would choose this morning to follow you, Father, and to follow your son, Jesus, to walk in obedience to him. I pray for the person sitting at home by themselves, who's been by themselves for a while now, who feels disconnected and isolated. I pray, Father, that you would go now by your spirit and minister to them. Remind them that they are joined to the body of Christ by your spirit, that there are other believers around here. If they feel isolated, Lord, I pray, Father, that they'd be motivated to reach out. Send us out this week as people who trust in you, believe in you, worship you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.